Hebrews chapter 11, and once again, I'm going to scare you by saying that we're going to go through the whole chapter, um, and somewhat obviously, if, you've, if you're familiar at all with Hebrews chapter 11, going through the entire chapter could take approximately 11 hours, uh, because there are so many stories that are referenced, but we are not going to go through all of the individual stories. Um, we're just going to leave them there, and if you want to read in your Old Testament, especially the book of Genesis, where many of them are, then I would encourage you to do that this week, to read the stories as they are given, as we read them in our Old Testament. Um, But this morning, we're just going to try and hit the highlights of what we're focusing on and what the author focuses on here in chapter 11 of faith, and trying to grasp and understand a good idea of what faith really is. And our main idea for this morning is I want us to to have a clear picture of the fact that the that there is a fundamental difference between the world's pleasures and God's promises. There is a fundamental difference between the world's pleasures and God's promises. So the question then we can turn that into is, is your heart set on the pleasures of this world or is your heart set on the promises of God? One, <coughs> one ultimately brings condemnation, the other commendation. And this morning, there's absolutely no way that I'm going to mix those two words up at any point. So I look forward to that. One ultimately brings condemnation, the other commendation. And I wouldn't use those words if they weren't used in our text here, but they are, so I'm using them. Is your heart set on the pleasures of this world or the promises of God? Let's read Hebrews chapter 11. It'll take us a minute, and then we'll begin to talk about it. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up, so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness That comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, 
were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured to seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall we say? What more shall I say? He says, For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God has provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Man, that's a lot. It's a lot of people who have lived by faith. It's a lot of faith going on. As we ended there in the last couple of verses, just a, a nerd moment here, but something that happens oftentimes in the Bible, those last couple of verses, verses 39 and 40, notice 
how it says, verse 39, and all these, though commended through their faith. We've seen both those words several times here, commended and faith. Notice that he ends this chapter by saying commended and then faith. They did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Now look back at the beginning of the chapter and remember that commended in faith and see how he begins this chapter. Verse 1 of chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. So notice how this whole chapter is meant to be a unit together. And so that's how we're going to treat it, even though it's going to take us a little while to do it. And again, we're not going to go through all of the individual stories that therein are mentioned. But notice there how the author has this chapter being about faith. So many things repeated, right? I mean, if there was one thing you listened, you read 20 times, what was it? By faith. It's by faith. How are we to live? What examples have been set before us? Faith. Well, what is faith? He gives us a definition there in verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Um, Sometimes it's required that you get someone to come work on your house, right? Guys are called contractors, and sometimes it's difficult to get them to show up when they're supposed to. It's hard to believe it, and sometimes you you get um, the idea that, can I trust what they say? Can can I trust that they're going to come when they're going to come? Can I trust that they're actually going to do what they say they're going to do? Can I trust, and maybe more so for all of us, that what they say the price is going to be is actually going to be what the price ends up being at the end of the job? Right? I mean, so many questions that we have. Some of us, you know, haven't had the best of experiences with many contractors. And, and you have the idea of, can I be sure of what this person is saying to me when I talk to them on the phone or when they come and, and do the initial, you know, walkthrough of, of what we want to do? Can I, can I trust that the work they're going to do is going to be up to par? Can I trust that what they're saying I can, I can take to the bank? Sometimes we have the idea of faith being, man, I, I just, I'm believing that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And we don't really have a whole lot of ground to stand on. We, we're putting our, our faith and our hope in someone who may or may not come through. But how he describes faith here is assurance. He describes faith as assurance. We, we are sure of this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And now it's assurance of things hoped for. We hope for what has been promised. We're hoping for the things that have been promised to us. And as we go along, we'll consider some things that have been promised to us. But before we get there, back again to this idea of faith, the conviction of things not seen. I am convinced. I'm convinced that these things are going to happen. And I am so convinced, not just in my mind, but my whole will, everything that I am says, yes, I will follow according to what it is that has been promised to me. I'm going to act in accordance with this. Notice how all of these acts of faith were not just ideas of faith. They they were acts of faith. People acted in such a way as to show that they believed what God had promised 
was indeed true. A lot of what I'm about to say comes from uh, Grudem's systematic theology, but a couple ways that he defines faith, saying faith is not merely intellectual assent. It's not just knowing something. And he also goes on to say it's not, it's not just knowing something, it's also agreeing that, you know, this is, this is true. It's knowing that something is the case and knowing that something truly is the case, that this is real, that, that I can believe this to be true. Faith is not merely intellectual assent, but includes, as Leon Morris says, a moral element of personal trust. It's more than just our minds. Faith is more than just believing with our minds that something is going to happen or or that you have said this and it's going to come to pass. Now, one of the things that when we hear faith, I'm a big sports guy, and so oftentimes I try to have faith in my team, right? You know, as we say, you know, my team's been down. You know, unfortunately, I'm a Cowboys fan, as many people know. And year after year after year, you're built up and you're built up and you're built up just to be let down, right? And every year it's, man, this, this year is going to be different. Man, you just got to have faith this year, right? You know, I mean, it's oftentimes faith for us in our society is billed as, you know, believe and, and believe in such a way that you're actually denying sound logic and reason, right? You know, I mean, because if the Patriots are still playing in the NFL, then there's probably not a really good chance that the Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl, unfortunately, right? I mean, if we're just taking things for how they have been historically, right? You know, so, but, but we're told to believe, oh, just believe this year. Oh, just have faith. Oh, I know this guy, you know, oh yeah, watching the baseball game. Man, I just, I, I'm believing, I'm having faith that this guy is going to hit a home run and tie the ball game up. It's the ninth inning. We've got no other hope, right? The idea of faith can oftentimes be so misconstrued and so misunderstood that we need to get back to a true and proper understanding of faith as it's given to us, especially here in Hebrews 11. The idea that faith and reason are mutually exclusive, right? Because oftentimes in this world, what has been told to us is that faith means you are believing without reason. Faith is you have no reason to believe what it is that is in front of you. But as we encounter faith in the Bible, we have a reason to believe God. We have a reason to believe that what He says is indeed true, that what He has promised will indeed come to pass. What we have not been promised is that all of these things will come to pass in our own time. And that's what we see clearly for all of the heroes that we have here in this hall of faith in Hebrews 11. All of their promises did not come true for them in their own time. And even for us now today, all of the promises of God do not come true for us here and now fully. There is this tension that has been in the book of Hebrews and that remains even in chapter 11 here, talking about faith of an already and not yet. We can experience the promises of God. We can feel and know and understand and be privileged to live in the promises of God. But some of the promises of God 
won't find their full and final fulfillment until later. Until our faith becomes sight and we are with God and we see Him. Faith is not just blind hope. It's not believing against the evidence, as I said about our our wonderful sports teams. Faith is believing because we do have the evidence. But it's not just believing in an intellectual assent. It is trust in Jesus Christ as a living person for forgiveness of sins and for eternal life with God. Again, speaking about the whole idea of the moral element, it is a decision of my will to depend on Christ as my Savior, as Grudem says. It is a decision of my will to, dep- to depend on Christ as my Savior. It is head and heart that leads to us acting with our hands and our mouths. It's our head and our heart that leads us to act with our hands and with our mouths. It's a backward and a forward-looking thing. For the most part, we see here in Hebrews 11 how people had to look forward to the promises of God. And the whole idea of what he's trying to get us to understand about all of these people from the Old Testament is that they were looking forward to the promise of God that would happen in Christ. And so now they had to look forward, but we look backward and we look forward. We look backward to what Christ has accomplished for us, the forgiveness that is found only through Him. And we look forward to when finally one day we will be with Him in paradise. We look forward to when sin will no longer control us in any capacity, where we are not tempted, where we don't have to worry about the shame and the guilt and despair, but where Our faith no longer has to be faith. It can be a clear and present, full reality. We look back, verse 3 in our text. By faith we understand from the beginning that the universe was created by the Word of God. How do we know that the universe was created by the Word of God? See, we can know, Romans 1 teaches us, that we can know that there is a God just by nature, just by knowing that, seeing that we exist and that the world exists and that the stars are in the heavens, we can know that there is a God. We seek to suppress that, but we can know that. But how do we know that the universe was created by the Word of God? That He spoke and things came into existence out of nothing. Right, So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible, he says there in verse 3. How can we know that? By faith, we believe God's Word. We believe the book of Genesis. We believe Genesis 1, where in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, where He spoke and the sun and the stars were put in their place. He spoke and the sea was formed. The dry land was formed. We see where animals were created, where we were created. We believe that this happened because God spoke. By the word of God, the universe came into existence. And so our faith, in so many regards, is dependent upon this word. It's interesting how he doesn't start off with Moses, or he doesn't start off with 
Adam, he starts off generally with us and believing at creation. Verse 3 again. He begins this by faith. And remember, we read this a million times in chapter 11. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. But he starts off, by faith we. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. And so our faith is dependent upon what God has given to us in his word. Our faith is given substance is given clear reason and understanding through God's Word. And so we look to God's Word for that. The Bible teaches us that God created everything out of nothing. And the Bible teaches us that faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of God, Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. And so, we must listen to God's Word so that we might fully and truly know and even have a glimpse of how these other people lived by faith and who was living by faith. See, what's interesting about what's not mentioned is all of the ways that many of these people failed. We talked about this whenever earlier in the book of Hebrews we were looking at Moses for a little bit. And we looked at how Moses was seen as a really great guy in history. But Moses had his failings. A lot of these people had a lot of failings. A lot of these people who lived by faith. Abraham has talked about for several verses. And Abraham made quite a few mistakes. He did a lot of things that were wrong. And and many of these people, Samson is mentioned in there. Samson did a lot of things that were really dumb but he's still commended for how he lived by faith. And so, I pray that just recognizing that helps us to realize that God does not give up on us in those moments when we don't live by faith. That that God still cares for us. We talked last week about intentionally sinning and how God will judge us for intentionally sinning as believers. And we can be left with a lot of despair and a lot of, how can I ever go about my entire life never doing anything wrong? But we can see God's grace and His mercy and how He still, through His Word in Hebrews 11, commends people for having lived by faith. And He doesn't bash them for all the ways in which they lived against His will. And let's read a a few more verses and continue to see this idea. Read verse 4. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 
I get caught up oftentimes in this ideology of self-deprecation, this, this idea that I am not worthy to receive anything from God, that Jesus is the one who is worthy of all the praise and all the honor and all the glory, and that I'm not worth anything. But this isn't the first time in the book of Hebrews, and we'll just stick here with what he says here in our passage in, in Hebrews 11, there in verse 6. But it's told to us that we are supposed to believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That there are not, there's not just judgment ready for us when we sin deliberately, but there are rewards for us when we live faithfully. And it's one of the, the beautiful things about how the author flows in this book, in this letter, where he says, look, there's judgment waiting for you if you do what you're not supposed to do. But then immediately he turns around and says, but if you live by faith, there are rewards for you. There's not just the expectation of judgment, but there is a promise that God cares for you and that there are good things on the other side waiting for you. And that there are good things also here and now in this life that you can experience by faith when you trust Him. And it goes back to our original question of whether or not we're living for the pleasures of this world or the promises of God. The promises of God are not just future promises, but we see how the promises of God have all of their yes and amen in Jesus Christ and how we can see how He has blessed Jesus so that Jesus became sin for us so that we can forsake all of the worldly pleasures and look to Him and receive from Him grace and mercy in our time of need. We can receive help when we need it. We can receive the blessing of knowing God truly, of having true joy. This is something that is oftentimes missed it's oftentimes missed because I don't preach that well. It's oftentimes missed because we're not told this by our culture. It's oftentimes missed because we're too busy trying to do too many right things and live religiously that we are able to delight in God and that God delights in us as His children, that God wants to reward us, that God cares for us, that, that picture of the prodigal son that God runs out to meet us whenever we come back and say, we're not worthy to be called your sons. But he says, oh, but let me put this ring on your finger. Let me give you even more than what you already took from me. Let me give to you. Let me give you good gifts. Our God is a good father who gives good gifts to his children and we're his children. And so he wants to reward us for doing good things. Do you believe that? You know, um, this week I put my kids to work a lot and and they worked pretty hard and they didn't complain and it was really nice. And, and so after after they were done working on July 4th, and I've told several of you all this, they asked, you know, uh, Cora comes up and she's like, can I have a snow cone? And I'm like, well, you've only just worked like four hours for free. You know, no, you can't have a $3 snow cone. You know, that's, I'm thinking, how can I say no in this moment? How, how can I not, in some such a small capacity, reward her for her willingness to serve our community and to serve alongside of our church. 
right? And I'm, I'm thinking, I actually have the opportunity, and I'm so wicked that I could say no right now. But, but, like I, <laughs> but I knew that there was no way that I really could say no, right? I mean, you know, just a few bucks. And, like, you've done so much. Like, I, I want to, just in a small way, give you the desires of your heart, which in that moment were a snow cone, <laughs> you know? Sometimes I think that's how, how God looks at us, how He meets us where we are, and, and He gives us the desires of our heart. When the desires of our heart are Him, He, he gives us more of Him. He, he gives us what is truly going to give us joy and peace now and forevermore. We can go and we can listen to all of the troubles of this world we can see how messed up this life is for so many people, and we can be dismayed. We can be downtrodden. We can be in a position to have no hope in this life. But God, He is there to offer us every single moment of our lives an understanding and a feeling of peace and security. And He offers that to us constantly. He's not afraid to give that to us. He, he desires to give that to us. And we see how we have an option of being commended or of being condemned. Look there at verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen... And reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So did God send Noah and say, Noah, do this, and I'm going to have you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you send everybody to their deaths and to hell. No, I mean, that's not what he's saying. But through his preaching, when the people did not believe that God had spoken to Noah and that God had tasked Noah to build an ark, that there was judgment coming. The people didn't believe that the judgment was going to happen. The people didn't care. The people said, we're happy in our sin. We're happy in the pleasures that we're currently experiencing. We're happy believing what we want to believe. And so, through their non-acceptance of the message that Noah preached, even if it was just through his works of building the ark, and maybe it was also the words that he preached they didn't believe, and so they were condemned. They condemned themselves. And so we have set before us the opportunity for blessing or for curse, for life or for death, for commendation or condemnation. Are you going to be commended for your faith, or are you going to be condemned because you have no faith? Those are the only two options that we have set before us. And, and so we have before us the fact that there are particular ways in which God has promised us. Look at, skip down to verse 13. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They didn't receive 
the things promised, yet they still died in faith. They didn't just trust God generically, but they trusted particular promises of God. They trusted in particular ways for particular promises. And it, and it did not stop at the events that were involved in their own lives. They looked forward. And now we are blessed as the chapter ends by saying we're able to look backward and see how all of those promises were fulfilled. The work and person of Jesus Christ. And we're able to look forward to what's to come. So what are the promises that we're able to look forward to as we wrap up our chapter? What are God's promises to us? If, if I'm saying that we should not live according to the pleasures of this world and that we should live according to the promises of God, what are those promises? What has God promised us? What has God promised us as individuals? What has God promised us as a community of believers? And oftentimes, the answer to those two topics gets confused with how God promises, what God's promises are to our nation, right? We've just gone through July 4th, and notice that the songs that we sing are not about America surrounding July 4th. We, we don't put our hope and our trust in America. We, we don't believe that America getting back to what it once was or becoming better than it ever was before is the hope that we live according to. We have to be careful in our society, in our culture, in our nation, that our pride does not go further than God would have it to go, that we are not thankful and grateful for the blessings and opportunities that this nation provides us, and instead go further and put our hope and our trust in those opportunities and in those blessings that this nation provides for us. Because there is something better. And why I think it's so interesting when he talks about a homeland and a country. Look at verse 14, 15, and 16. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Our hope is not in making Abingdon better than it ever was. Our hope is not in making America better than it ever was. Our hope is in something better than America will ever be. Our hope is in something that is better than Abingdon will ever be. It is a hope that we can be sure of because God has promised it in his word that he has prepared for us a city to live in with him in his presence. And so if you want to know some of the promises of God for his people generally, look to the book of Revelation. There's a lot of judgment in there, but then there's a lot of hope and a lot of beautiful imagery of how God has prepared and how God will fulfill his promises, what heaven will look like for us. And that this is better. This is a theme throughout the book of Hebrews that 
All of these things, many of these things were good in the past, but there is something better. Moses was a great guy, but there is one who came along that was better. Joshua was a great guy, but there's something that's come along that is better. The temple was great and it served a purpose, but there is a heavenly temple that is better. And all of the things that are better usually find themselves ending up in heaven that are currently even now in heaven, that are currently being prepared for us in heaven. Jesus is in heaven. This theme of something that is better, I hope that we can take with us to realize that we can't put our hope and our trust in the things of this world, in the things of this nation, in the things of this town. As individuals, as a community of believers, what can we take to the bank, so to speak, God's promises? Well, one of the ways that we define faith, I'll say it again, is trust in Jesus Christ as a living person for forgiveness of sins and for eternal life with God. One thing that we are promised is that if we put our hope and our trust, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins and in no one else, as a living person, as a, as a person who lived and died, who took our sins on the cross and who rose again to show that he had power over sin and death, if we believe that, he promises to give us new life, and not just life now, but life eternally. This is a promise that we can take to the bank, that you are offered forgiveness for your sins and eternal life with God by faith. As individuals, we're promised that God delights in us. We're promised that His Word is true that His Word is authoritative, that His Word is sufficient, that His Word is eternal. All flesh is like grass. It, it withers, it fades away, but the Word of the Lord will stand forever. We're promised that His Word is true and will always remain true. We can take that to the bank. His Word hasn't changed and it won't. He promises that He will keep us to the end. That our future is secure as believers. That He won't let us out of His hand. That when we come to Him for forgiveness of sins, that when we come to Him as His children, that He won't let us leave. He won't let go of us. As a community, He promises that we're not alone in this life that there are others of us there to encourage us, to build each other up, that we are all one in Christ. We're promised that God will build His church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's what we're promised. He will advance His church. We're promised that God has judged our actions and will judge our actions. We can know these things for sure because these are things that are written in God's Word. And I pray that we don't just look to the examples of the faith of all of these people in the Old Testament without ever actually getting to see how Christ lived, how they looked forward to Christ, how 
our hope is not set on these Old Testament figures, but our hope is set on what their hope was set on, on what was promised. That our hope is set on Jesus Christ and His work for us. And that our hope continues to stay in the fact that He now lives and intercedes for us. That He is at the right hand of God. That He has provided something better for us that we can now know, that we can articulate, that we can read about in His Word. And that person is Jesus Christ. And we look forward to what He's going to continue to do. And so, as we end our look at Hebrews 11 this morning, come back to that question that we began with. Is your heart set on the pleasures of this world or is it set on the promises of God? Where is your heart at? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says. So where is your heart at? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning and for the opportunity we have to look at faith, to look at how you have been faithful to us. How you've provided the ultimate example of faithfulness. How you are gracious and merciful. How you abound in steadfast love. How you are faithful. And so I pray that you would give us faith. Help us to live by faith. Help us to trust you. That our words and our actions would speak to the fact that we trust you. God, help us to trust you in all things, as individuals and as a church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.